Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. We've got a great show for you tonight, this Thursday, October the 12th. Uh, going to be starting things out here uh, with another great round of Coach's Corner. And then I'm going to be joined by a, a great uh, guest in the second half of the show. And I'll tell you a little bit about that here in just a moment. But let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday night uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, for those of you just tuning in for the first time, obviously you, you found us. Um, but for those that maybe aren't familiar, the best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key, just type Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And of course, you can listen live uh, every Thursday from uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Central. And uh, for those of you that maybe can't join us live, if you just follow that link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live, or again, just type Golf Talk Live up in the search key, uh, scroll down the page to the on demand section, and all of the shows are also auto recorded. So you can always go in after the show has, has gone off uh, from the live broadcast and you can listen at your uh, convenience when it's uh, uh, well convenient for you. So, uh, but glad that uh, those of you joining us live tonight uh, are able to tune in. Uh, also, if you're interested in listening uh, maybe under a different social media platform, you're welcome to go to iTunes.com or Stitcher.com. And again, under the podcast section, uh, just type in Golf Talk Live and you'll find us there. Uh, for those that maybe like to lif- listen under a, uh, a different network, uh, you're welcome to do so there. Uh, also, if you're interested in, in calling in or speaking with any of the guests uh, during the live broadcast on Thursdays, you can do so by calling area code 646-716-4667, uh, or you can email me questions or comments to ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're somebody that's in the golf profession, whether you're a coach, a teach professional, or maybe an entrepreneur, or somebody that's maybe written a great golf book that you'd like to share with the audience here, I'd be more than happy to uh, get together with you and, and uh, set something up. So, uh, you can also reach out to me at my email, ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And as always, I update on social media, on Facebook, and also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO, CEO in capital letters. Uh, and thank you to all of the recent followers, by the way. And also on LinkedIn.com as well, uh, under my personal page, as well as I said, on Facebook on my personal page, and on the Golf Talk Live blog page uh, there on Facebook. You'll see all kinds of updates uh, each and every week with my guests. Um, but as I mentioned, we're going to start out here uh, with a great round of Coach's Corner. I'll introduce the guys here in just a moment. And a little bit later on in the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest, Mark June. Uh, he's the head coach uh, for the Chattanooga men's golf team uh, for the University of Tennessee, uh, Go Mox. And uh, he'll be joining me here in the second half of the show. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, very excited to have him on the show. Uh, but first and, and foremost, uh, the Coach's Corner panel, let me introduce them. Uh, tonight is uh, Peter Agazarian. Uh, P- uh, Peter is uh, PGA and TPI Teach professional with the Traconic Golf Club. Uh, he's also the head men's golf coach with the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, and he's also the founder of the Northeast Golf Performance and a member of the Proponent Group. 
And filling in, uh, originally John Hughes was uh, going to be here uh, tonight, but unfortunately he had to cancel uh, late last night. So my good friend, Mr. Pete Buchanan, decided to uh, uh, step up and, uh, and uh, pitch in this evening. So he's going to be joining us here on the Coach's Corner panel. And Pete Buchanan, of course, as you all know, he's the founder and director of instruction and owner uh, of the Plain Simple Golf uh, LLC, which houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, he's been teaching for well over 30 years, and uh, essentially he's been simplifying his golf swing philosophy in an effort to make it easier and simple for players just like you to play this great game that we all love. So without further ado, got that out of the way. Guys, welcome to Coach's Corner here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, Ted. It's great to be here. Hi, Ted. Great to be here. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, and, and again, as always, thank you very much for, for giving of your time. I know it's not always easy. Uh, we, all, we all have a pretty full uh, schedule during the day, and, and then to have to uh, bounce and, and do Coach's Corner here on Thursday nights, uh, I know sometimes isn't always easy. So thanks. And, and again, in particular, thanks, uh, uh, Pete Buchanan, for stepping up uh, last minute like that. I appreciate it. Um, all right, guys, as I said to you briefly off air, um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, playing to one's strengths. And uh, essentially what I, I mean by that is, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses in our game. Uh, some might be a great driver of the golf ball. Uh, others maybe have a, uh, a really good uh, short game. Uh, maybe it's just their putting is really strong. And I feel the best way to, to really capitalize on your game is to play to your strengths. So if your short game is your strength, um, you certainly want to practice your long game. But at the same time, you don't want to spend most of your time playing uh, or practicing in an area uh, that's the weakest part of your game. Because when you get out in the golf course, it's not going to translate uh, into some low scores. So we want to make sure that we always play to our strengths. And that doesn't mean that we negate or forget the other parts of our game, uh, but you always want to capitalize on where the best parts of your game are. So, um, Peter, uh, just to keep things simple, I'm going to address you as Peter uh, tonight. And Pete, I'll obviously address you as Pete. Um, Peter, I'm going to start with you. Um, obviously, you've uh, recently... Uh, been drafted, if you will, to be the head coach uh, uh, for the uh, golf team at the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, as I mentioned in the opening credits. Um, so I'm going to start with you, and you've had a chance to sort of assess a lot of the players on, on your team. Um, talk a little bit about some of the differences in some of the strengths and weaknesses. And, and again, uh, you know, as I said to you before, uh, you don't necessarily have to name names or anything like that, but what are some of the, the, the foundational strengths and weaknesses that you've uncovered so far? Well, there's... Individual players have their own, you know, track record and competition, their own preferences, their own, you know, something even down to their favorite yardage to play in the greens. Um, and I just want them to really tailor their game to be, you know, capitalize on that to be as confident as possible. You know, <clears throat> the more you talk to them and you, you talk through things, you know, something like a unreachable par five, it's, you know, club selection is, you know, on that second shot is very preferential and it has to have, you, you know, you're sitting there at the, you know, 275 yard or 280 yard mark. And you need to have a conversation with that player about, you know, what's your confident yardage you want to go into the green. Do you want to hit this as close to the, to the green as possible because you feel really, you know, very confident about your short game, your, you know, your wedge play from 30, 40 yards, you you feel like you can get it closest to the hole or, you know, one of my players, you know, wants to be laying back all the way to 150 yards because, you know, he feels most right. confident with that club in his hand. He feels like he can get it right next to the hole. Um, but really that's what we work with. I work with on the players on the team 
is embracing their strengths, whether it's a, a, a section of their game or something they're mm-hmm. employing technically. I, you know, all I do with them and, you know, all the people I coach, whether they're, you know, competitive, recreational, um, professional, is embracing the strengths that they have technically, reinforcing those. And frankly, I, I tell them flat out right off the bat, I'm like, I don't want to talk about what you're doing poorly or what you think you're doing poorly. Let's let's discover, you know, where it's or why it's good, and let's discuss that. So it's it's not only the sections of the game; it's maybe something that they're not aware of them or why they're hitting good shots in, in that simplest of sense. And then if you don't know why you just hit that amazing shot and you sit there and say, how do I do that again? Then how can you possibly stand up to the ball with any confidence that you're going to reach your target or in right. most cases, not go into the water or woods. It, that's So when you, when you talk about the college players, they all have existing games. We, you know, I have them for 14 weeks or 15 weeks a, a year. Um, so it's more about helping them understand their own strengths, embracing it, and, and playing to those. And, you know, I always say that the easiest way to, you know, not have a, a trouble shot is not to hit it there. So <laughs> if, if you're <laughs> – Right. So – and they, they laugh at that at first, but then they think about it and they realize how, how right that actually is. And so it's it, – it, um, um, this is a really great topic for me tonight because I – this is what I do with people. I want them to embrace their strengths and not sit there and dwell on what, you know, they might think is a weakness. It's just not worth the time. Yeah. And, and Pete, uh, well said, Peter, by, by the way. Um, and, and Pete, I think really it, it, it falls into the strategy uh, of a player as well. I mean, having, uh, you know, using and, and taking advantage of one's strengths in their game can help building a, a plan or a strategy. And this is something that the better players uh, understand again whether they're playing competitively or or maybe in uh, um, their local uh, club championship. Uh, having a good game plan, if you will, uh, can also ultimately lead uh, to better ball striking because as their confidence level rises, um, their ability to be able to understand what needs to be done, and that doesn't mean they're going to hit every shot crisp and pure each and every time, uh, but it is going to elevate their confidence level. So, talk a little bit about you know, some of the things that maybe you try to do in helping your players uh, uh, or students that you're working with develop a better game plan, if you will, uh, that ultimately is going to lend themselves to, uh, to some lower scores. What I always try to do is, is to get them before they're going to play around, whether it's their home club, whether playing tournaments, whether on the tour is to look at the golf course. First of all, look at every hole and try to figure out on each one of these holes, what's my best plan to make the best possible score on this hole. And, you know, right along these lines, it was great because I just had a conversation with one of my tournament players the other day, and, and he came back to me and he says, well, you know, this golf course, is I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, shape my tee balls. And I said, well, how many holes on the course actually need you to shape it? He goes, well, none of them. I said, then why are you trying to shape them all? You know, there's you're trying to do something, you know, that you're not comfortable with that you really don't need to because the course doesn't, equate that you have to do that so it's always looking at the golf course and trying to set up for each hole you know what you're trying to do what the plan is 
you know, I like the fact that, you know, par fives are, are great if you can hit them in two, but you got to look at the circumstances. Um, you know, what's the risk reward for each one that you're going to play? Um, you know, there's a, there's a hole that, uh, you know, I volunteer coach with the Missouri women's team and, and there's a, a par five on their home course or par four, I should say, that's got water on the left and they keep, every time they, they mention that hole, they say, well, you know, the, the, the water on number five. And I go, there's water on five. They go, what are you talking about? I said, well, I never right. see it. I don't know what you're looking at. So I, I don't even know it's there. So, you know, if you're looking in it, you're probably going to hit it in it. So, you know, you have to figure out on that hole, let's play a shot that won't even come near it. Well, let's take the water out of play. And, you know, it's, it's challenging because some of them from that front tee can, you know, challenge the green because it's a short enough par four. But, you know, they make more doubles than they make birdies trying to go that way. So, you know, and I always try to get them to look back to, and, you know, we always want to draw on the negative, but if, if they're making bogeys and double bogeys, I always try to get them to figure out why are you having those scores on those holes. Look back at them and try to figure out, you know, why did you make a double on that hole? Did you hit it out of bounds? Um, did you did you make a bad decision? Um, you know, was it just poor contact? And so that way we can get a game plan together with inside the game plan of how to better attack the course when, you know, maybe things aren't going so great. You know, what can we do? Um, you know, tee off with a three-wood versus the driver. Use an iron. Um, you know, I always try to teach you know players you got to have a go-to shot when the when the wheels fall off. You got to have something you can do. And there's got to be a shot in there that you know you can pull off at all times when you know things are just going sideways. And it happens. You know, things mm. do go sideways. We right. all know that. So I want them to have something they can go to, and that way they can stay within that game plan and and make it work. And a lot of times. I'll even have them divide the, if they're playing 18, I'll have them divided into six, three hole tournaments and let's play them three holes at a time. And let's try to get, depending on the level, if they're tour players, let's, let's shoot one under par for every three hole segment, you know, and then you shoot six under every time. So instead of looking right. at it, you know, as a whole, let's split it up into segments. So, you know, it's, you know, as Peter was saying, you know, you try to look at segments, whether it's parts of their game or the golf course, but trying to find out, you know, what do they do best? How do we enhance what they mm-hmm. do best? And then, you know, in the meantime, how do we tweak along and take those areas that aren't as good and bring them up to speed? So, yeah, I think it's a, I mean, it's a great topic because, you know, it's something that I think everybody needs to do. And, and you know, the, the players that play the best are the most prepared without question. I mean, they just prepare yeah, so well, and, and Tiger and Jack were two of the best. Yeah, you're exactly right, uh, Pete. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I thought this would be a great uh, topic of discussion tonight on, on Coach's Corner panel. Um, you know, Peter, as, as Pete was just talking about, you know, obviously we want to focus on, uh, you know, the player's strengths and that, uh, and then, you know, be able to tweak on, on some of the areas that, uh, that maybe are lacking a little bit. Um, so we still need to, to make a plan really to help the players understand um, and I know it's not always easy when you're, as in your, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, in your position, you're only seeing them for maybe 14, 15 weeks a season. Uh, so it doesn't give you a lot of time to really uh, necessarily get into a full assessment. So you're, you know, you're working with really what you've got. But obviously, you want each player to make their own plan, uh, ultimately focusing on the stronger parts of their game. But we can't negate and forget uh, the weaker areas either. Um, they have to identify them and do that. So what do you try to do to help them make a plan to sort of attack both areas, obviously focusing more on the stronger parts of their game, but we still have to, to work on the other as well. What do you try to do to encourage them to develop uh, their own plan uh, of attack, if you will? 
We start with, you know, ensuring that quality of contact is is there. You're making that player is making the best quality contact they can possibly make, and and we have an open discussion between myself and the player. You know, during practice, you know, I I have the rest of the team practicing. I pull them aside. We do some work together for 20 minutes, kind of privately. You know, this is one of the stations they're running through, and we have a discussion. Uh, you know. I'm fortunate to own TrackMan, so we sit there, they hit some balls on TrackMan, and, you know, we talk about it, and we, you know, we, we talk about their round, we talk about, you know, some shots they hit. I'm like, okay, let's, you know, let's talk about that, let's hit a few shots, and then just help them talk through and better understand their own game, um, you know, and they have enough experience, at least at the competitive mm-hmm. side, and the college side that they're going to come to their own realizations and say, okay, this is how, you know, the contact can can become better. This is why this certain outcome is happening. And then we can discuss a a mechanism to change the outcome. That's, that's all you can do is, is, is really have an open, you know, an honest conversation about just that being the sole focus. You're not quote unquote looking to do something correctly or the right way you're looking to make a connection to what we're discussing to change the outcome and right. that's the conversation i've had with my the players on on the team um whether they're senior starters or freshmen that are are, are really just learning how to compete at the college level um that's the conversation and you know if they're if they have a very good understanding of how they can a foundational piece of how they successfully put speed on the club and make, you know, good quality contact and control their golf ball, then they it it changes. Their you know, the, their confidence level changes, their shot making ability changes, and then the, obviously the scores are affected. So it's I think if anything, I mean it's been a very short time that I've been the coach of the college team. But in that, even in that very short time, the players have a better understanding of their own game and why certain things are happening. So, you know, when it comes down to that side of things, away from my professional te- my professional coaching, and you know, mm-hmm. the professionals and then the competitive amateurs and then the the recreational players, it's not it's not too too different. It's just that it's a, a different a different age group, a different level of, you know, maturity, and they're still discovering how they, they operate on the golf course. So it's, it's cool. Yeah. And, 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 you know, really that self-awareness is, is critical, uh, especially at that age. Um, you know, they're still starting out and, and even though they might have um, some, some good competitive skills developed already, there's still a lot of room for growth, um, that, you know, for, that for the players. Self-awareness for- yeah had self-awareness for every player to some level. Some level of self-awareness is in, extremely important. Uh, I would say there's right. a very, very small percentage of highly competitive players that if you gave them any level of self-awareness, they would be completely crippled. But I would say for the majority of people that just the, the awareness of why that good shot just happened can be a, like a eureka moment for them where they can Right. I can find a whole different level of playing. Yeah, and that's really, 
you know, what really makes the difference too, I think with, with some of your higher caliber uh, players, Pete, um, you know, the question a lot of people ask uh, or should be asking themselves, and that is really, what are you looking for? Uh, what's your end game? Uh, in other words, what do you want to get out of your experience on the golf course? Uh, you know, whether it be recreational or whether it be competitive. And I think understanding what that end game is and, and what level you want to take yourself can really um, falls into to obviously strategy, what we're going to talk a little bit more here in just a second. Um, but I think answering that question for, for each individual is, is critical. And uh, again, it goes back to playing to your strengths, knowing what your abilities are. So, um, you know, that's a conversation, Pete, I know that you've had with students as well as is trying to, and that happens in the very beginning stages when you're doing their assessments, trying to find out what it is they want to accomplish. Uh, would that be correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of times when, you know, for instance, we'll have a high school player and they'll ask him, you know, what are your ambitions? Where do you want to go? And then, you know, start to talk to him about, do you actually know what that's going to take? What types of shots you have to be able to hit? How much time you're going to have to practice? You know, so they're aware of exactly what it's going to take to make it to that next level. And even going to the 25 who wants to become a 20 or the 40 who wants to become a 30, depending on where they are. It's giving them an understanding of, you know, what parts of my game do I have to improve to get the scoring to go down? Obviously, the higher the handicap, the more room for improvement. And you can make a, a lot of strides with basic short game play. I mean, a lot of the higher handicappers, you know, they, they take three or four to get to the green, then they figure out, well, what the heck, it's, uh, I've had this many already. So, you know, they don't really concentrate on the shorter stuff. And as you get them better with the short game, their, their full swing becomes better because they're more aware of ball control, more aware of the club face, more aware of things that are going on. So, yeah, I think, you know, making them aware of, you know, what are, what is your, as you said, what is your end game? What do you want to do here? And where do you want to take your game to? And then let's sit down and talk about, okay, what's it going to take to make that happen? How you need to practice, mm-hmm. what you need to practice, how you need to play, the things you need to look at, um, you know, and even from reading books to, to watching videos to, you know, learning more about mental golf, learning more about, uh, you know, different course strategies, course management. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can present to them to help them along and move them to the next level. But I think you're right. It, it's, you know, a lot of times they really don't realize, you know, what exactly is necessary to make those leaps. And so we have to sit them down. And, and sometimes you have to tell them, you know, and you, you don't want to really have to do it in a, you try to keep it as positive as you can, but you have to just have to tell them, well, you're not, you're just not there yet. So here's what we have to do. If you want to get here, this is what needs to happen. And so I think you can turn it into a real positive and create a, a, a practice plan and an end game goal to get them there. Yeah. And well said, uh, Pete, by the way, you know, the other thing too, that I think a lot of times uh, and, and why I, I believe that that, last sort of uh, question, if you will, is extremely important, is more often than not, I think a lot of people, and I'm obviously talking about our amateur golfers here or weekend golfers, really don't know what they want. You know, a lot of times we'll hear, well, I just want to hit the ball farther, or, you know, I, I want to be able to hit a little bit straighter, and that's great. But even if they accomplish that, is that going to resolve all of their issues? Is, I mean, it's certainly going to help, but is that not really having an end game or really fully understanding what it is you want? And if you're just looking sort of a, for a quick fix or a band-aid solution, 
uh, to a lot of your, your issues and problems that you're dealing with out on the golf course, then you're truly not going to become a better player. So I'm going to ask both of you this question. Uh, obviously, I'm looking for a, a yes or no uh, answer, and you're certainly welcome to expand on that uh, with any thoughts. But would this be a fair statement? Better players play to their strengths. Uh, average players play or dwell on their weaknesses. Uh, Peter? Yes. Yeah. I, it depends. Would you, would you agree with that? That Yeah. Would you, I mean, as a general rule, would you agree that more of your better players tend to focus on the strengths of their game and their abilities that they know and confident out in the golf course and amateur or your high handicap players tend to focus mm-hmm. on um, the last bad shot mm-hmm. that they just, you know, played the hole before. They're not thinking about the better parts of their game or what they know they can do. They're thinking about all of the mishaps that have happened the last three or four holes. So, so that would be a yes then. No, mm-hmm. I would say no. I would say no. And it, it okay. depends. It's kind of a, uh, I, I think I've, interacted with enough players on both ends of the spectrum or every end of the spectrum to know that mm-hmm. there's plenty of very, very, very good players that dwell and mm-hmm. don't have and dwell because they don't have a, a plan to move forward mentally. And uh, then on a lot of times you'll have your recreational golfer. That's a, a, a 15, 20 handicap that knows that they love putting or love, you know, their short game and don't mind missing a green because they feel confident a chip and a putt is coming or, or the fact that they, they know they only hit driver 130 yards, but they know it's going to be in the fairway. They, you know, it's, you can have, it's, I don't think it's a fair, I don't think it's a fair statement. No. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting answer, and, and you're, you're, there really is no, uh, in my opinion, no right or wrong uh, answer to that statement. Um, Pete, what about your thoughts um, to that same scenario? Uh, better players um, play to their strengths, and uh, our, our higher ha- handicap or our average players out there dwell more on their mistakes and not uh, and don't focus them out. Would you agree with what Pete, Peter uh, just said that? No, that's not really an accurate statement based on your experience as well, or or do you uh, differ? Well, it's it's a yes and a no. Um, in general terms, yes, better players tend to play to their strengths. Um, you, you've got average or, or you know players that that don't. But I think here's the bottom line to me is this: the players that play the best understand their games, and and they don't dwell on the consequences. The players mm-hmm. that have trouble dwell on the consequences. And that doesn't matter whether you're a tour player or whether you're a 25 handicap. Those that are worried about the consequences do not play to their top level because they're always worried about what if. I'm standing on the field. What if I hit, right. you know, I, I just don't want to cut this ball into the water. You know, that can be a, you know, a PGA tour player or it can be, a, you know, just the average player. So I think it consequences it's not uncommon. And I used to say this all the time when I was doing mental golf classes, I said, well, if you're sitting there thinking, okay, so I hope I don't three putt. And then you three putt and you ask yourself, God, well, I wonder why that happened. Well, you know, that's <laughs> exactly what you set yourself up for. 
you know, so I sure hope I don't hit it in the water. There it goes right in the water. So you have to refocus your training and not worry, really dwell on the consequences. And I know it's hard for the, for the weekend players because, you know, they hit so many shots that are offline and, 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 you know, they do hit those types of shots, but you want to try to refocus them on, you know, again, going back to strategy. Okay. What's the best club in your back? Oh, I hit my six iron grade all the time. Let me tee off with it. Let's get the ball in play. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have you played the par four where you hit three six irons and make a putt? You know, let's, let's, you know, change the game plan so that you can, you can continue to work towards the things you do well and don't dwell on the things that you don't because that's always going to eat at you at some point in time. And we've all been there. You know, you hit, you know, 12 straight tee balls all day long. You're just crushing it. And you stand up on number 16 and there's water on the left. And there you go. I hope I don't hook it in there. You know, you, it's easy to do, you know, because you, you look yeah. down the fairway and it leads you towards the negative. You know, somebody once told me that for every negative thought, you need like four positive ones to get it out of there. So, you know, you may as well just focus on, you know, what you're trying to do and what you need to do instead of worrying about the consequences of what might happen. So I think that's a big yeah, thing. And I've, I've always noticed that the consequences, those that are worrying about them, just don't play as well as they can. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. And, and, I, and I, I'm a firm believer in the power of self-talk. I think it doesn't matter whether it's golf or uh, whether it's uh, everyday life. I think that if you, um, you know, I, I believe in that law of attraction. If you're, if you're constantly, um, you know, spewing out negative um, statements or comments all the time, you, you develop a, a sort of negative aura and you, you attract that sort of negative response. So I, I believe in the power of self-talk, whether you're out in the golf course or, or, or elsewhere, but, you know, particularly out in the golf course, I think if you're, as you said, uh, Pete, if, you know, if you see water or you see uh, some other obstacle out there uh, on the golf course and your main focus is on that obstacle, um, you're more than likely going to find yourself in, in some kind of trouble because you're not really uh, going in with a good strategy, which sort of brings me to the next question um, that I'm going to start you off with, Peter, and that is, um, you know, should we have a strategy on the golf course or should we just go out there and sort of play willy-nilly and, and hope for the best? What, uh, should there be a strategy when, when we're going out there? And when should we really be thinking about that, putting that strategy or plan together? Yes, there definitely should be a strategy. and There should be a primary and a secondary um, strategy for going on the golf course. And, you know, for the people that play the same golf course, you know, you have a home club, you know, you play there on a regular basis, you can have that be a, a standard a standard plan, but, you know, some days, you know, you, you know, you're like a pitcher that shows up to the ballpark feeling like they have their great stuff and you get shelled in the first inning and you're on the bench. There's days like that mm-hmm. for golfers, too, where you show up and you just don't have, you know, you're not really bringing – your best stuff that day you need to have a secondary plan that you can go to you know kind of like pete was saying that you know if you have to hit six three six irons to to reach a par four then then you do that you know it's something that not only do you need that primary plan that you know you can do when you're controlling your ball but you need to have that that own personal secondary plan that you're going to you know play to a strength and make your way around the golf course and you know help you enjoy your round or if you're playing competitively, you need to, again, you need to have, you know, an understanding of the golf course. Now, you know, there's certain apps that you can use on your phone that can help you game plan 
uh, right from your phone. It's not the same as getting a practice round, but, you know, you can see yardages and fly over on Google Earth, and, you know, you can mm-hmm. really at least put together a, a primary game plan and, and something of a secondary game plan if it's if it's necessary. But, you know, a lot of competitive players are preparing themselves so well that they're controlling their ball, um, you know, so that primary that game plan is is the most important one, and you always have a backup plan where you can just play to your strengths and get it done. Yeah, and and I, that also really, uh, Pete, well, well said, Peter. Um, I, I think also uh, part of a good having a good strategy is um, being able to adapt to different situations that you might be fixed, which I, I think is what you're alluding to, Peter. Uh, when you're talking about a secondary plan is obviously if, if plan A, um, you know, is starting off a little streaky, um, then you need to have somewhat of a backup plan, uh, if you will. So, so Pete, let me ask you this. Um, obviously, you need to be able to, to adapt. You, you developed a strategy, uh, as, as Peter just pointed out, uh, to go and play the golf course. Um, but as we know, that they don't always go, uh, plans don't always go as, as what we uh, first uh, hope. Um, so we need to have a backup plan or we need to be able to adapt to certain uh, situations. So how do, how do we handle that? Uh, when, when things, when the wheels fall off the bus, as it were, uh, how do we sort of get ourselves back on track? And do we go back uh, and try to regroup and, and follow that original strategy or do we uh, adapt and, and come up with a new strategy? Well, it really depends. It depends on how many wheels fell off. Um, you know, if it's if it's just a little bit shaky, they may be able to stick with the plan and continue going down the road. But I always like to let them know the, the one thing that you can always remember is loft is your friend. And the more loft you can put in your hands, the more control you can have over the ball. So when things start to go bad, you know, you've heard me say this before. Now, they don't put the numbers on it anyway. But they used to put a one on the bottom of a driver. And, you know, just because it has a one doesn't mean you have to keep hitting it first. You, you need to get right. something that's going to enable you to get off the tee and keep the ball in play when things aren't going well enough. You know, I always tell them the story when I'm warming up before playing, you know, the last probably six or eight or, or, or ten balls I hit it with the driver just so I can see if I can use it. You know, if I can't hit it on the range mm-hmm. very straight, I'm not going to hit it off the first tee, um, you know, because now I'm more nervous. So I'm going to put something in my hands that I have full confidence in that I know I can hit in the fairway. And they need to develop those types of clubs. They need to know what they are. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, controlling the golf ball. And, and, you know, you don't have to hit perfect shots to shoot low scores. You just have to get the ball mm-hmm. in the hole. You know, you got to figure out a way to do it. So I always like them to have, you know, when they're, when they're practicing hitting shots, I like them to go out and, and you know, work at ball shapes because I like them to hit them right to left, left to right. Uh, as well as straight shots. And I like them to, to know which one of these, if push comes to shove, if everything is all falling off and you got to take it, you have to hit this ball in the fairway. What shot are you going to hit? What's your go-to? And so I want them to understand what that is so they can, they can pull that out uh, when they need to, uh, when things just aren't going as, as well as they'd like to. But, you know, as I said, you know, the more loft you can put in your hands, the easier it gets. And, you know, I've often too told them, you know, play the holes backwards when you're practicing. If it's a if it's a three wood and a nine iron, hit the nine iron off the team, three wood to the green. You know, just start to figure out yeah. you know, there's different ways to play every hole. So figure out, you know, the ways to do it. Or take a par four, divide it in half and hit that club twice. You know, just different yeah, strategies exactly. to look at playing holes differently. And I think that in itself can then lend them into, okay, 
well, things aren't going well, but, you know, I can, I can hit two four irons and be on this par four. So let me do that because the driver's gone sideways the first four holes. You know, so as long as they have a backup that they, that they have some confidence in and they can develop that over time, um, then that would be, to me, the backup uh, to put something in their hands that they know they can hit and play and then continue on. Yeah, and, and uh, again, well said. You know, the other thing too, guys, is, uh, and we've talked about this before on the show as well, I think a lot of amateur players particularly, um, you know, need to sort of follow the, the words of Jack Nicholas. Uh, when he talked about, you know, teeing it forward, um, you know, a lot of players are still, you know, trying to scramble from the back tees um, just because they don't want to give up, uh, you know, I guess that uh, that machismo, if you will, <laughs> or uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, they don't want to give in and say, well, you know, I'm getting a little bit older, but, you know, I'm, I'm you know, up in my uh, getting close to my mid-50s and, you know, I can still hit a pretty decent ball, obviously, but uh, even I recognize that, um, you know, I'm not going to hit it uh, as far as I did when I was, you know, 25. And so, you know, sometimes you have to make adjustments. That falls into strategy as well. You know, knowing what your limitations are, um, not just in your ball striking ability, but also in your, your distance control. If you're not hitting it as far as you used to be, um, there's no shame in, you know, as Jack said, moving it up uh, a set of tees or even two, depending on the circumstances. So that's something else that I think falls under strategy as well is, is knowing what your, your limitations are um, as far as your abilities. And, and uh, you know, not, it's not just about strengths and, and ball striking. Um, another question, and Peter, I'm going to jump back to you here real quick. Um, you know, something, too, that's a little different, and I think this falls into um, – really both areas obviously that uh, it acts as a strength for for some of our better players uh, but also into strategy uh, to know this information and that is better players um, are actually reading the greens before they're even standing on the green and what I mean by that let me just clarify I know you guys know what I'm talking about but just for the the audience listening um, you know a lot of players as they're walking up or you know out in the fairway they're looking at the lay of the land up around the green and on the green. They're looking to see where the pin is. They're looking to see is an elevated green uh, is the green, you know, got some undulation in it. They're not waiting until they're getting up there walking. So this falls under strategy, of course, because they want to um, see where's the best position. So, um, you know, Peter, this is something I'm sure that you're working with some of the students and some of the uh, collegiate students, particularly that you're working with uh, on your team is, learning to recognize uh, the lay of the land, if you will, um, when they're getting ready to, to make some of their approaches. So talk a little bit about that. What, what's the conversation that you're having with some of these guys uh, on, on, uh, on that preparation? Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a conversation we have in practice, you know, just about gathering information, um, you know, and that's it's not something, unless they're, I, there's a few players that are, you know, have been professionally taught or coached, you know, during their junior golf years, and those players know. Um, mm-hmm. But still, it's something we discuss, and it's, you know, there's some other things that we discuss about just gathering information about and to be best informed to make, you know, the, the most confident decision that you can. And that's also what I'm working on with, you know, your other competitive amateurs, your recreational players is to, is mm-hmm. how to gather, how to efficiently gather information that, so to help you weed through all the, maybe the stuff you've been told, 
um, you know, I'll weed through the inputs that you've received and to, you know, what's constructive and what's what's not. We can compartmentalize those those things, and then they're making not better decisions, but maybe more. They're gathering information at an efficient level so they can make a confident decision. That's it. And I, when I'm talking to them about that, that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what you're looking for in them as well, is to make sure that they're making best use of, of gathering that information. Um, you know, Pete, that's something. What, what can amateurs learn, um, you know, from, from that analogy, um, that the professionals and, and, and obviously the, some of the better players, as Peter just pointed out on, on his team, um, they it sort of come second nature because, you know, they've been trained and, and, and taught to what to look for. But a lot of amateurs don't. You know, when they're out in the fairway, they, they see the flag, and they might look to see what are some things that they should be looking for uh, when they're getting ready to approach the green. When they're looking down the fairway at the green, what are some things that they should be uh, clearly trying to identify? Um, what is useful information to them, and what's something that's really not really all that relevant or really going to make a big difference either way? What are, what are your thoughts on that, Pete? Well, first and foremost, I'd have them look at where the pin is and get them to understand that if the pin's all the way in the back, they could maybe take one or two or maybe three more irons to get it back there, depending on the, the depth of the green. So they have to understand mm-hmm. that, you know, how far is the pin actually from, you know, what their yardage is? Because a lot of times they'll give them the yardage to the center of the green, but, you know, they could still you know, use another club or two to get back to where the pin sits. So I'd have them understand where the pin is first. You know, secondary, looking at the green and say, okay, if, if you happen to miss this green, what's what's a good miss and what's a bad miss? So, all right, well, there's bunkers left and there's a lake on the right. Well, if I'm going to miss it, I'd rather be in the bunkers. So, you know, you have to look at, you know, what's your ball flight tendencies. And so with that in mind, you know, I'm not saying they, to play their miss, but they have to keep that in mind. If they do miss hit, you know, what's the most penalty and how can we avoid that? You know, and sometimes I'll tell them, okay, well, why don't we just lay up? You know, we don't have to go for the, the, the pin in the green right now. Let's just set it over here to the left on the side, and then we can pitch one on and, you know, put it up there and get out get out of this hole. So I, I want them to look at, look at what's up there, not only from a sense of what trouble is, you know, if, if there's a right or, or a good miss or a bad miss. And, you know, for, for the last part, as you were talking about before, look at the green. How is it pitched? How does it sit? You know, are there mounds around it? Is the right side higher than the left side? Or is it, you mm-hmm. know, I can see the front of the green, but I can't see the back. Okay, well, that means, you know, it may be you know, running away from us. And so to get an idea of, of you know, what the green is going to be like uh, before they get up there. But I think, you know, if they can they can understand, first of all, where the pin is relative to, to where they are in the yardage, but they may need more clubs to get back there. You know, where's what are they looking at? You know, can they can they have a better miss? Yeah, they can. And then, you know, what am I up against uh, what I see from the fairway? What's it look like? What's the green look like? So when I get up there, I have a better idea of, you know, kind of where I'm going to be able to play the putts or the chips or, or the little pitches, you know, depending on where my shot ends up. Yeah, and, and gathering, as both of you had mentioned, a great, uh, some great thoughts there as well, Pete. Um, you know, really, I think both of you have, have really emphasized tonight on, on really not only the self-awareness, uh, understanding uh, about your abilities out in the golf course, uh, but capitalizing on uh, opportunities that present itself. If you've got an opportunity to, to study 
um, the hole and uh, ahead of time, uh, you know, Peter, as you suggested, whether you, you know, do a Google flyover, um, you know, over the golf course as you're taking a look at the yardages and, and some of the, the obstacles that you may be faced with out in the golf course, i.e. bunkers, uh, small ponds or lakes, what have you, um, that's going to serve you well. Even if you're playing on a course that you're familiar with, um, you would be surprised by playing from different sets of tees how much different that course sets up. Um, you know, playing from a more forward tee, um, sometimes different things that maybe weren't in play or are in play are no longer in play or vice versa. So uh, the course can change dramatically depending on where you're playing from. So it's always a good idea to, to sort of do that uh, upfront assessment uh, whenever, uh, when and wherever possible. Um, also, um, Pete, as you just mentioned, you know, when you're coming up on your approach shots, uh, you know, for, for every green, uh, obviously you don't have a lot of time and, you know, we're not trying to encourage slow play, uh, but make use of that time while your partner is over there uh, lining up and doing his thing. This is your opportunity to sort of start gathering that information and, and assessing, you know, as you said, where's the pin? Is it cut in the back or is it in the front? Uh, and this is going to give you an idea of, of what club, because as you mentioned, uh, more often than not, most of the courses, not certainly everyone, but probably 99.9% of them uh, are giving yardages to the center of the green. So you know that if uh, the pin is cut in the front or in the back, um, that it could be one or even two club lengths uh, difference. So uh, that's important information to have. And again, the slope of the green and, and the position of the bunkers and any other hazards or traps uh, that, that could be in its way. So you want to make sure that you've uh, gathered as much information. And I think, guys, once you know we have that strategy, then playing to your strengths sort of takes over because you can go back and say, okay, I know that, um, you know, Peter, as you gave an example earlier on, uh, one of your players, uh, maybe uh, one of your amateur players uh, has got a great short game, but maybe can't hit very far off the tee. So he's going to leave the driver in the bag maybe, and he's going to take out an iron that's going to keep him in play in the fairway. So those are some good strategies and he's playing to, to his strength. So these are things that I think that a lot of amateur golfers uh, you know, should be adhering to. Um, guys, I'm going to give each of just a few moments to any final thoughts uh, that you want to share with the, the audience, and then I'm going to give you uh, another opportunity just to, to let the folks know where they can reach out. So, Peter, why don't you go first? Any final thoughts uh, that you want to relay to the listeners out there as far as playing to their strengths and, and maybe uh, putting together a good game plan? No, I, think, I just, you know, Ted, great topic today. I think this is – if we discuss this more, it leads, it leads a great conversation for other people, you know, and I just encourage people to, you know, work off confidence first. Where, where are you the most confident in your game? Mm -hmm. What, you know, where do you feel like, you know, a, a particular shot that you're looking to play, or if you get in a situation where you have to make a decision, you, you can ask yourself where, what shot am I most confident with? What club am I most confident with? Actually, you could start with what club am I most confident with in this in this circumstance? And then you can make your decision on what kind of shot you're going to hit and how you're going to execute and what you can do to control your ball the best um, and get as close to the hole as possible and, and enjoy, your, enjoy your game more. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of times that I see people that are out on the golf course and they're playing a shot that they feel like they're supposed to, or they should that mm -hmm. they've maybe never a played before or B have absolutely no confidence in executing. And then they're leading, you know, themselves to 
a frustrating place. They're adding two, three, four more shots to their score for that particular hole. And then, you know, at that point you're inviting in more tension into their golf game and golf swing. And, and at that point they're just not going to have a level of enjoyment. That's just not. Uh, so I, I think this is a great conversation for us to have today and a, and a, and a, and a definitely a conversation that I have with all of my players um, mm-hmm. at, on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, to bring it to the panel discussion tonight, as I thought is, you know, we, we often talk about so many other areas of the game and um, things that, you know, different topics that we brought up here. And, and Pete, I'm going to come to you in just a second. And I think that this is an area that really um, – you know, people have to be real about. Um, we all have areas of our game that certainly could need improvement, and we get out in the golf course and hit some some bad shots. Um, but if we let that define our round, um, you know, we're never going to improve. So focusing on the strengths that we have, um, capitalizing on those strengths whenever and wherever possible on the golf course is going to make overall a better round. Um, Pete, uh, some closing thoughts on that, and then uh, I'll go back to Peter and, and let him uh, – uh, share with the listeners how they can reach out to him and then um, to you as well. well. I, you know, agree a lot with what Peter said there. Um, and it is a great topic and one that I think that can advance players, you know, further along in their game and some things that they probably haven't, you know, thought about before and given them some, some strategies, some game plans and, and really setting themselves up to actually play the course. You know, some of them just never do it. They just, you know, they, you have those guys that you've seen it at your club tee time mm-hmm. at nine, they show up at eight fifty six. you know, they roll a ball on the green, they run down there and they grab a tee and whoop, off they go. There's no plan. There's no nothing, you know, and then, you know, talking about some different shots, you, you know, talking about playing to your strengths all the time. You know, I've always heard when, when I've been out on the course and, and, you know, a lot of times when I was doing the, the golf schools, doing course duty, here's something, Hey, I saw this on TV, that to a double bogey for sure. You know, um, those are probably shots you shouldn't be trying, the ones that you're watching on TV, um, you know, unless you've done them before. And I always tell them, I said, you know, those shots that they pull off, they've practiced those. You know, they mm-hmm. don't just go out there in the heat of the moment and play a shot that they haven't practiced. They won't do that because they, they've got to have no. confidence in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times they'll say, you ever notice sometimes that, you know, you'll see a player that hits it, you know, to the side of the green way away from the pin and you wonder, God, that was a missed shot. So you never know. That might be exactly where they felt the most comfortable playing it. <laughs> and so, you know, right, you right. don't know what their strategy is, you know, so you have to understand, yeah. you know, exactly where they're coming from. But I think overall, if they can just start to take, just take a moment to look at, especially those that play the same course all the time, what a great advantage that is to take advantage mm-hmm. of a course that, you know, that you play, go out in the evenings when it's late, when there's not many people around and take five or six or seven balls and just put them all around the, each green and figure out where all the breaks are. How, what's the ball do from here? What's it do from there? You know, if you're playing that course a lot, you can get to where you're going to be really good at understanding what the greens are doing. And I think that's a, a great way to just take advantage of, you know, the, the same, the same course, the same play. And I think too, I would always challenge my players. I said, you know, go up from the front tees and tee off from there and uh, don't move back until you can shoot par for nine holes. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, a that's a great and, and, and that Go ahead. Yeah, that's exactly what I was that, that's exactly what I was alluding to earlier. Um because you you'll actually see the course 
from a different perspective. You know, if you're uh, advancing up, you know, two T blocks uh, or what have you, uh, it's amazing how much the course can change for you. And uh, and you're exactly right. If you're not able to make par uh, or even get closer to par, uh, moving up further, then obviously there's some areas of your game that you that need a lot of help. Um, so. Right. You know why are you playing? Why are you playing from the back set of tees if you can't even make par from the front set of tees? So yeah, yeah, that's a, a good way to to do it. Um, you know, and one well, guys, thing, I want to I want to th- sorry, yeah, go ahead, Pete. I was just say one other thing. When I used to play scrambles a lot, where I was always the professional in the group, I would always ask the group, "Where are you guys most comfortable hitting into the green from?" Because for me, bombing it down there, they may not be comfortable trying to pitch it in from eighty yards. I said, so right. I can pretty much hit any shot. So let me hit it where you guys are most comfortable. So you'll you'll play better, and we always scored better when we did that. Play to their strengths. You know, I yeah. can hit it from anywhere, but you know they they're limited, and so let's play to where you feel most comfortable playing into the greens from. Yeah, and that's what yeah that's exactly what you know we used to do when we would play in scrambles or you know a best ball format uh, for fun and you know or, or a corporate event you know and we had our, our our group put together you know that's exactly what we did is we you know we said to the guy that you know was great from 100 or 150 yards in okay you're going to be our our uh, go-to guy and and the guys that could you know hit it well off the tee you're going to be our position guys you're going to put us in position uh, and then you know hopefully we had a good putter. Or, or two or three of us were good putters or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, you know, we all play to our strengths as opposed to just sort of, as I said earlier, willy-nilly just getting up there and, and swinging for the hills. Um, guys, great great discussion tonight and uh, just a, a, a sort of a precursor to, to things to come uh, for the new year. One of the things that we're gonna, I'm going to be doing next year on the Coach's Corner panel, um, I did a little bit of this year. Um, some things didn't uh, quite materialize quite the way I wanted to, but uh, I know they're going to be there and set and carved in stone for next year. Uh, but one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to have a former uh, 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 tour player uh, who actually was a guest not too long ago uh, is going to be coming on and joining us on the Coach's Corner panel and giving us uh, an opportunity really to not only pick his brains but talk about some of the things that uh, some of the best players in the world uh, face and deal with out there. So we're going to have some great discussions. And we're also going to uh, bring in uh, maybe a couple, but uh, one for sure, an amateur golfer out there that's kind of a newbie to the game. Uh, we're going to bring them on the pan- panel as well and give them an opportunity to maybe ask us some questions and also maybe do some uh, on-air assessments. I know it's not always uh, 100% accurate because we can't see them, but um, uh, give us an opportunity to talk to some of the folks in that uh, uh, format as well. So I think it would make for some interesting uh, conversation uh, and discussions uh, for our future Coaches Corner panels for next season, so you want to make sure you stick around. Um, guys, as always, thank you very much for joining me. And, uh, Peter, you go ahead first, and then, Pete, uh, I'll let you uh, pick up the, the, the tail. Uh, let the folks know how they can reach out if they want. Yeah, Ted. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I know it's I'm sure it's a lot of work, so we appreciate it. Um, people can reach me. Uh, I'll be at Taconic Golf Club until the uh, end of the season, so uh, right up through mid-November. Um, they can uh, uh, they can phone the golf shop there if they'd like, or they can visit uh, my website. It's uh, gogolfcoach.com. Um, you can contact me through that. I'm also very active on social media. Uh, Instagram is uh, at Daily Golf Coach, um, and Twitter is uh, at Daily Golf Pro. Um, and I'm also on Facebook for multiple accounts. But if uh, Peter Agazarian, uh, PGA and TVI Performance Coach, is my uh, Facebook fan page. But 
Um, any any questions? I'm happy to help, and please reach out. Thanks so much. All right. Well, Peter, as always, thank you for for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. And Pete, uh, how can the folks, uh, those that want to, how can they reach out to you or or maybe uh, follow you and and uh, learn a little bit more about uh, plain simple golf? Oh, that's that's exactly where they can go. They can go to plainsimplegolf.com. <laughs> it's P-L-A-N-E for the plain. Um, you'll see on there the little uh, guides to the, all my other social media areas where they can they can catch me at. And uh, they can contact me there too. All my contact information's in there. Some good little tidbits that they can see. And uh, we're revamping the website to uh, move and uh, uh, for 2018. We're we're really going to have a, a pretty good interactive website. So I'm looking forward to that to to try to touch base with more players and, and have more interactive stuff going on. But um, yeah, all my contact info is there. And again, Ted, uh, really appreciate you doing this. It's a it's a great forum uh, for, for us to be on and, and, and talk about golf, but also for those listening in to, to really enhance what they're doing and, and really uh, continue to grow the game. So thanks. Thanks again for doing this. Well, I appreciate it. as always guys, you know, I have just as much fun and I always, uh, I look at it this way, just, you know, even though I teach and, and, and coach, uh, um, you know, a variety of different students, uh, you know, I always feel that this is an opportunity for me to learn some new things, which I always do. You guys uh, have, provide some great information that I, uh, in turn, uh, use myself now. Uh, over these last several years, I, I've learned a lot, and it's helped me to grow my game uh, with my students as well. So I thank you guys uh, for giving of your time. And, and we're going to we're, we're gonna finish out, obviously, t- 2017 here uh, with a bang, as they say, and we're going to have some great things happening in 2018. So I hope both of you guys are going to be able to join back uh, on the Coach's Corner panel and, and uh, also as, uh, as some guest spots as well. But uh, guys, have a great weekend. Thank you as always. Uh, again, it's been a pleasure. You bet, Ted. Thanks again. Yep. Thanks, Ted, right. as well. All right. Good night. All right. That was my uh, special guest on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Peter Agazarian, and, of course, Pete Buchanan filling in for John Hughes tonight. Thanks, guys, uh, for doing a great job. And we're going to continue that uh, conversation discussion uh, again many many times uh, over the next uh, uh, months and, and years as well I, I think playing to one's strategy uh, and playing to one's strengths uh, are vital uh, for becoming a, a better golfer and uh, a better professional as well so uh, something to think about um, I'm going to be joined here in just a moment uh, I'm just waiting for him to come on board but um, my very special guest tonight is the uh, head coach for the University of uh, Tennessee in Chattanooga uh, men's golf team uh, known as the mocks and uh, he's going to be joining me here in just a moment his name is uh, Mark June and I'm really looking forward to uh, having a conversation with him and let me just uh, tell you a little bit about him while I'm waiting uh, again his, his name is Mark June he uh, took the reins of the Chattanooga mocks men's golf team in 2005 and uh, led his uh, alma mater uh, to unprecedented heights in men's golf uh, he spearheaded a consistent uh, present uh, in the national rankings and under his guidance, the program thrives uh, both on and off the course. Uh, his team uh, has set records in competition as well as uh, in the classroom, which is uh, equally as important, of course. We'll talk to him a little bit about that. Uh, they're also active in the community with clinics and service activities. So he uh, gets them out in the community uh, and, and keeps them active that way as well as uh, on the golf course. Uh, June's uh, directed the mocks to 17 team and 17 individual wins through uh, 2016 20, and 2017, which include five Southern Conference Championships, uh, 2007 to 09 and 2012 to 13 and one NCAA regional 2012 uh, Bowling Green along with the coveted 2008 uh, Carpet Capital Collegiate Crown 
Uh, one of his prized pupil, uh, pupils, excuse me, uh, Stephen Yeager, uh, posted individual wins at uh, conference and regional in leading Chattanooga to those titles in 2012. Uh, so lots of great accolades. He's also uh, received, uh, has been the uh, SOCON or Southern Conference Coach of the Year in 2006, 7, 8, and 2012. And he was also the Eaton Golf Pride uh, East Regional Coach of the Year in 2009. So uh, a lot of accolades. So let me welcome my very special guest this evening from the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, uh, Mark June. Hey, Ted, how you doing? Good evening, Mark, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Well, I appreciate uh, you giving of your time. I know it's not easy. I believe you guys are on fall break uh, this week. Is that correct? Uh, no, that's actually next Monday and Tuesday, and we are uh, we'll be oh. at a tournament. <laughs> so we it it worked out good this year that they're not going to miss class on Monday and Tuesday. So, well, well, that's perfect. Um, well, I've already taken a, a, an opportunity, Mark, to uh, to let the folks know a little bit about your background. And, uh, and some of the accolades, not only personally, but also your team has, has racked up. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, first and foremost, what I like to do, Mark, when I have a new guest on the show that's never been on, is give them an opportunity to sort of talk a little bit about um, how they were introduced to the game um, and, and roughly how old they were uh, when they first sort of took up golf. So talk a little bit about how old you were and what drew you to the game of golf. Well, um, yeah, it, it's kind of a different story nobody in my family really played any golf. My dad played like once a year, but, uh, my next door neighbor, his, uh, dad was one of the managers at a public course in town. So the easy thing to do with all of us boys in the neighborhood was take us out there and let us play golf all day. That way our moms didn't have to worry about where we were. So I guess I was probably <laughs> eight, nine years old. And, uh, that's kind of how I got started. And it was, a little public course, no driving range, no teaching pros, nothing like that. We just we just played all day. And, you know, if we needed golf balls, we found them in the ponds or the woods or wherever. And uh, we kind of taught ourselves how to play. And uh, that, you know, it, there were some pretty good players that came out of that group. And uh, it was – but, you know, we had a, we had a great time. And uh, it was – uh, a lot of fond memories of that. We would hang out all day. This this kind of shows my age. We would uh, we would <laughs> take quarters with us, and you could go in at the turn and get a Mayfield lemonade and a made by the same people make Mayfield milk in a little right. carton like you would get in elementary school. And that's we would get one of those at the turn every day. So I had like a dollar at like four quarters, and I'd have like four of those each day. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we did, and I was all of I, – I couldn't have been five feet tall, not because I'm five, six now. So, uh, And I played with <laughs> men's clubs, and I've still got the putter, and, and the putter's probably three inches too long for me now. So I know it must have been something else when I was putting with it back then. So, But if we couldn't go there after we got started, we'd build golf courses in the neighborhood and between people's houses and stuff like that. So uh, it's just – it's it was something that started out to be just a lot of fun and, you know, just grew into a passion. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of golfers out there kind of had very similar. I mean, some, you know, got into the junior programs and uh, ultimately maybe went on and played uh, collegiate uh, golf uh, as uh, the students are that you're currently teaching uh, and others maybe went on to some of the mini tours and maybe even eventually into the, um, 
PJ or LPJ, depending on uh, where they were playing. But um, there's a lot of right. uh, folks out there too that had very similar beginnings to you that uh, just played in their local uh, public course uh, when an opportunity presented and uh, maybe necessarily didn't get a chance to play all the time, but uh, but gravitated to the game through that method. So uh, uh, that, that's a very interesting backstory, and, and I appreciate you for sharing. Um, another interesting story, you know, when I was researching for you coming on, Mark, uh, I looked at obviously a lot of the notes and things that uh, that you have posted up on on uh, Chattanooga's uh, website. And uh, obviously, your your wife Kelly and you both uh, graduated uh, at Ch- uh, Chattanooga UTC uh, back yes. in '84, mm-hmm. and uh, you currently right. reside in in Hickson, in Hickson Tennessee. Um, what's kind of interesting about your story is you not only attended and graduated from UTC. Uh, but now you've come back to your alma mater uh, to be the head coach of the men's golf team. Uh, that's got to be a little bit bittersweet. Uh, wouldn't you agree? It, you know, it is. It's great. I mean, Hickson is, is just a suburb of Chattanooga. So I've lived in Chattanooga ever since right. I started school back in 1980. So uh, it is, it, you know, it, it's my school. And, you know, I've had opportunities to leave and it, I just, I don't want to. I like living in Chattanooga and, it is neat to be at, at your school, and you know it's. I really, I've really enjoyed it, and it's been great watching the university grow. It's been great watching the athletic mm-hmm. department grow. I remember, I signed there and I wrestled there, which is another whole story. And you know, back then, <laughs> the, all the coaches' offices were in a double wide trailer, so uh, you know it was it. Right. It's changed a lot, and it's uh, the university's grown a lot, and it, it really is. It's it's really neat. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to be there. We had a couple other coaches that were here that were also, uh, you know, UTC grads, and you know, it's fun to you know we'll go to lunch and just walk around campus and and kind of reminisce about the the way it was and how good it is now. So it, it's a great place to be. Yeah, it's a beautiful um, area, Chattanooga. I've been there many times and uh, uh, have some family up that way. So it's it's a very uh, beautiful place and, and uh, very lucky to, to have that opportunity. Um, what was sort of the strategy? Obviously, you know, you didn't have um, what we classify as, as I mentioned a moment ago, sort of the traditional golf upbringing. Uh, you know, you weren't right. sort of mentored or tutored uh, by coaches and that. Um, so that's kind of a big shift uh, to now come back and be the head coach. What was sort of your philosophy or game plan coming in once you uh, went for that position? What was the thought process to say, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's the way the team currently is uh, and, and this program. What was your thought process on, on where I want it to grow and develop? Well, <laughs> I don't think I had a clue, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I thought I did. <laughs> it was It was a very interesting start, and – the gentleman that was before me, who is a very, very dear friend now, Coach Reed Sanderlin, was an English professor that got asked to be the golf coach. And at that time, he really didn't even play much golf. And when, you know, I don't think he'd mind me telling this, when he retired and I took over, he was making like $6,000 a year to coach a golf team. So one yeah. thing he he didn't know then that he does know now is after I got hurt when I was wrestling in college and we were rooming with the golfers and had a lot of friends that were on the golf team. So when I couldn't wrestle anymore, I would go to golf practice sometimes with them. And, you know, I was never on the golf team, but I would go to practice with him because he was always teaching and he wasn't at practice. So he didn't know. So, uh, but <laughs> you know, it's, 
you know, we got started and, you know, I went to read. I'd owned a construction company for about 15 years and I've been playing a lot of amateur golf and I've been teaching on the side and doing, or not teaching, but running junior clinics and running junior tournaments mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to get into golf and get out of what I was doing. And I went to read and, and I talked to him about it. I said, how, how can I go about getting into coaching? And we had become friends because, you know, I, a lot of the guys on the team, even then I knew and had gotten to know and gotten to know Reed. And he said, well, I'm thinking about retiring. If, you know, what about UTC? And I was like, well, it'd be great. I really don't know what I'm doing. You know, if I could work for you for a year or two, <laughs> that would be. So sure. I came in and, you know, we started qualifying. And, you know, I thought we were doing pretty good. And we went to the first tournament. And there were a lot of schools there I'd never heard of. <laughs> so not right. knocking anybody or anything <laughs> like that. There's a lot of uh, – we played a lot of tournaments as we were coming up, and guys would want to know where Chattanooga was. So, you know, but right. uh, <laughs> I thought we were going to do good. And, you know, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine I played with here that played at UTC back in the 80s when I was there. And, you know, I told them, yeah, we're ready and everything. Well, <laughs> on the way home, I called a couple of them and I said, well, it didn't go so well. And they said, how'd you do? I said, we finished dead last. I need to figure out what this college golf thing's all about. (laughs) So (laughs) I started going to tournaments where there were SEC schools and and schools like that around here because I could get to those terms. And I'd just wear a Titleist hat and a golf shirt, and I'd just go watch and start trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what those coaches were doing. And it kind of went from there. We came back, and we were fortunate enough to – to get some good players, uh, got Ben Rickett, who is a great coach down at Dalton State now, number two team in NAIA, who was one of my first players, and Bryce Ledford and a guy named Jonathan Hodge, who's now full-time on the web.com, just missed getting his tour card this year. And we kind of mm-hmm. got started, and we started moving up, and we got inside 150, and then we got inside 100, and then – we had a guy named Derek Rendy come along and, you know, ended up being a four-time all-conference guy, and he's at Q school right now. And, you know, and then Steven Yeager, who is now on the PGA Tour, and all that kind of just kept getting put together, and we kept bringing in good players. And I figured out that I wanted to – I thought, you know, how am I going to help these guys get better? I had been teaching, and – but I knew that I didn't need players that I needed to teach. I knew those kind of guys weren't going to be good enough. You know, things I could help them right. with would be course management, you know, how to practice, how to set goals, how to, you know, how to work hard. And those were the things that I was trying to help them with. And I just thought, you know, we got to put this thing together so you can't leave here and say, I didn't get everything I needed to try to go play professional golf. So we brought in guys like Bob Winters, who's a sports psychologist out of Orlando, Randy Myers, who, you know, helped develop TPI and also Nike 360 and several other guys. And uh, we tried to put a program together so that there was nothing here the guys didn't need. And uh, we have a great donor who helped us. You know, we bought a nine-hole golf course and turned it into a great practice facility. Bill Bergen redesigned it for us. We've got two wedge ranges plus three holes. And, I mean, it's just a – it's a 33-acre. I mean, it's just – it's a fantastic deal for us. And so, 
you know, and actually a lot of the guys have moved back. Stephen Fox, who won the U.S. Amateur, just bought a house here. Uh, I mean, you know, Stephen Fox did. Stephen Yeager has bought a house here who plays on the PGA Tour. Derek's here. Bryce is still here. A lot of these guys all still live here because they got such great golf courses and the practice facility. And it's a pretty good place to, you know, it's pretty centrally located. You know, you can get to Atlanta quick or Knoxville and get out of here and, and fly pretty much anywhere you need to go. So, uh, yeah, but that was that was kind of the, the mindset that I wanted to put together something that would give the guys everything they needed to see how good they could become. And I tell them all the time, I say, it doesn't matter who you play for. It doesn't matter what coach in the country, and there's some great ones out there. None of us can make you great. It's all on you. All we can do is, is supply what's needed. And uh, there for a while we had, and now, but they're, we got a lot of guys that came in that wanted to be good. They had a chip on their shoulder. They wanted to prove that yep. everybody else messed up not taking them, and it got to be a lot of fun. So uh, that was kind of my philosophy when I kind of figured out what needed to be done and what we could do at Chattanooga different than, say, a lot of the bigger schools that um, that have different resources and different ways to recruit and, and do things. So that was that was kind of where I backed up and tried to go. Right. And, and, you know, that raises an interesting question, what you just mentioned about some of the players coming in with a chip. Uh, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, with what you're dealing with is a little bit different than traditional. Uh, you know, traditionally, most people think of golf as an individual sport, but now you've got to put, uh, you know, a group of players together and they've got to work together as a team, even though they're, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times they're playing in individual competitions um, they still have to work and support, much like you would see, you know, uh, on the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup. They've got to be there to support one another. How do you handle a situation when you've got a, a player or more than one player that's coming in that's sort of not meshing well? I mean, we've seen that even in the players, or uh, mm-hmm. not the players, but the the Ryder Cup, uh, where players that, as an individual, are phenomenal. Uh, Tiger Woods comes to mind. Put them in a format where it's now a team environment. And they're just—they're not really there pulling uh, pulling all all cylinders together. How do you handle players like that, and what do you do to to get them on a better track that's going to benefit the team overall? Well, you know, now you're asking me to to give up some secrets. I hope none of the guys are listening, because <laughs> or future recruits, because because uh, I've got two right now that that are that way, and it's taken all of a month, and now I think they're best buddies, but. Uh, you know, the biggest thing for these guys coming out is everybody was the best player on their high school team. And then they walk into a situation where everybody was the best player on their high school team. <laughs> and, right. you know, they're not used to being the four-man or the two-man or the eight-man. And it's it's tough on a lot of them. It's tough on a lot of them's egos. And the bad thing about it is high school golf really across the country you have select teams that are pretty good where you'll have more than one good player on a team but you know i just mm-hmm. got back from the state tournament you got one guy that can shoot even par and the rest of them are trying to shoot 75 or 8 or 81 and help the team out and they're never going to play college golf so when they get to college it's the first time where they've been on a team where they don't want to let everybody else down they used to be in a situation where they were hoping somebody else could help them. Now they don't want to let anybody down, and that's probably one of the biggest adjustments they have. But sometimes, like you alluded to, there is a little bit of ego with some of them, and then there's also 
they see these new guys coming in and they, you know, they don't want somebody taking their spot. Uh, you know, I had one coming in this year that, uh, and both of these guys are great kids. One's a freshman, one's a little older and they ended up rooming together and the freshman didn't think the older one liked him at all or something, anything like that. So I, I made <laughs> the older one, his mentor. Now they practice together right. every day. They go eat dinner. And, you know, they hang out all the time. I mean, now they're now they're best buddies because the older one is taking the younger one on and trying to help him come along. So instead of them fighting with each other, you know, it, it gets them to to helping each other, and that that is good. But but then at the same time, as a coach, as a golf coach, and you know, kind of take that back to wrestling. And you know, in both sports, there's there's qualifying to get your spot you got to turn around yes. and even though he might be your roommate, your best friend, you got to try to cut his throat out. You got to try to stomp his heart yes. in the ground. And that, and we talk about that is, you know, right up until we tee off all these guys, are your best friends and they will be again tonight. But for these four or five hours, you got to want to destroy them. And I mean, absolutely destroy them, not beat them by one, but just run them in the ground. So they never want to play you again. And yeah. we preach that a lot. And that's what we try to get our guys to believe so that when they're playing with, with other teams out there, it's not it's not a friendly competition. You know, mm-hmm. the thing, you know, I've wrestled in several national championships. I've played golf in one and I've coached in quite a few. And, I've you know, I've fished with the best in the world on the FLW Tour. One thing about all the best in the world is they all want to beat your brains in. They, they'll be nice to you yes. at times, but they all want to beat your brains yeah. in. and <laughs> That's that's the attitude that you're trying to get. You're trying to get them to mesh together as a team, but more importantly, mm-hmm. to be ultra competitive with each other. You know, we'll go back to Steven Yeager, who's on the PGA Tour now. Um, mm-hmm. He would come to me and say, "Hey, coach, can we qualify today? I want to see how bad I can beat everybody." Right. <laughs> He's like, okay. <laughs> and uh, and we would set things up like, okay, if you get this many ahead, you're out. <laughs> you know, so. And so instead of just winning qualifying, he was trying to be, get, you know, 17 shots ahead in three rounds of the fifth place guy. So he didn't, so he could be out of qualifying. So, right. you know, you're all, you're trying to build that kind of competitiveness in them. We do that in the weight room a lot too. Our, our weight room time. And I actually had Derek Randy come up to me the other day and he told me, he said, you know, my whole first year coach, I didn't like you at all. And I thought you were crazy because <laughs> the stuff we were doing in the weight room, he goes, I just – and he's a multi-sport athlete. He's a phenomenal athlete. He said, I just really didn't like you, you know, and I played so good that year too. <laughs> I was like, man, I wish I'd known I'd have made it where you didn't like me all the way through. But, you know, now right. we laugh about it. He's, you know, Derek's older and and I'm older and both of us have, have learned a lot hopefully. But, you know, he was a great player for me. But, we do that, and sometimes the younger guys don't understand. They're like, why am I doing this for golf? Well, the reason you're doing it is to get more mentally tough. It's to prove to yourself you can do things you never thought you could do before. And You know, and that, you know, yeah, so, that, that, yeah yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. What I was going to say is, is, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is, is golf in many ways, uh, Mark, really mimics life. Um, you know, when you're out in the golf course, you're, you're faced – you're faced with a lot of challenges out in a golf course, much like you are in life. And the, the person that can best navigate those challenges is the one that's going to come out on top. And sometimes you have to make decisions and you have to take, 
steps that are not always going to be uh, popular with your, your teammates. Um, but if you've got a goal in mind and, uh, you know, a strategy in mind and you stick to that, ultimately you're going to come out on top. And that's not an easy thing in, in an environment that you're teaching uh, because obviously you don't want them to actually hate one another, um, but they've got to be willing when they get on that golf course, they've got to flick a switch and now they're competing against one another. And when they come off, they can shake hands and, hey, great round and gave it your best, but, you know, I'm up by such and such and whatever. Um, you know, you, you have to be able to flick that switch when the time is needed. And it sounds like you've, uh, you've been doing that very well with a lot of your students. Well, you know, we, we try and, you know, different guys have different <laughs> personalities and yeah, it takes some of them longer than it does others. And, you know, so it's, you know, you can't treat everybody the same and that's, you know, and you can't coach everybody the same. They're, you know, that's one thing about golfers is, and it is about any sport. I'm, you know, I was in that generation where, boys, we played every sport. I played every sport. You know, whatever season it was, that's support. That's the sport I was playing. And, you know, the thing about wrestling and the thing about golf is it is, to me, so much more mental than, than yes. a lot of other sports. Even though they're mental, they, you know, when I played football, it, it just happened. You know the the whistle blew mm-hmm. or the ball was snapped and it just everything was was you know was just a response based on what was going on in front of you. Uh, and wrestling sure. can be that way too at times, but it's also really mental. <clears throat> you know when you're facing somebody else one on one. But golf gives us way too much time to think. <laughs> you know, yeah, we we get yeah, all and- this time in between shots to we get to stand there and look at it and think about all the bad things that can happen. And, you know, so to me, it's probably one of the most mental sports out there that and tournament fishing, professional fishing. It's funny. Our sports psychologist handles two athletes and it's fishermen and golfers. And I think we're the most mental cases out of any athletes out there. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, Uh, you know, Mark, the interesting thing, you know, when I when I looked at a lot of the stats, just to give the folks an example here, you know, mm-hmm. just to show how, how really a great job you've done here is, you know, you, you've got some very impressive stats. Um, you know, as I mentioned, from uh, 2016 to 2017, uh, 17 team and 17 individual wins, uh, including five Southern Conference championships. Um, and as you already mentioned, Stephen Fox uh, was a standout in 2012. He, he won the uh, United States Amateur Championship. So you've got some great examples. Um, but having said that, it, it's not all about golf because you also have them involved in some community, uh, in the community, doing some clinics and other service activities. Why was that important to you? Well, again, you alluded to it earlier. It, it's about teaching these guys how to be great people, not just great golfers, because very few of them are going to ever get as far down the path as Stephen Yeager's got or the guys that we are watching on TV every week, hopefully in a few weeks we'll be watching Steve and he had a, a great first tournament at Safeway, but, uh, but you know, for, and even for those guys that make it, it's about being, you know, for me now, 15 years later, I start looking at these guys and, you know, what kind of, what kind of parents are they becoming? What kind of husbands are they becoming? What, you know, if they're working for somebody, how are they doing in their professional life? And, you know, one thing about it, I've had a couple of guys in town, they'll ask me to take somebody to play golf. And, 
you know, just kind of put the whole thing together and we go so they can really evaluate that person on the golf course. So golf is, golf shows a lot of, a lot of faults and a lot of strengths. And, you know, being a coach and, and having these guys from, you know, from 18 to 22 and, you know, you're really trying to help them become the kind of people that, that, you know, you'll be proud to know. And that's one of the biggest things about it. I love seeing my guys. I love talking to them now, now that some of them have young families and, and are doing well. And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's neat when one of them calls me and says, hey, coach, I just got promoted in my job. Or, you know, those, those kind of things yeah. are important. And I'll tell you, day one it wasn't. It was all about winning SOCON championships and trophies and shooting mm-hmm. 66 and everything else. And it still is. That's still my job. But at the same time, at the end of the day, I look back at a lot of guys that were here that contributed a lot more than I thought they did at the time and how they've turned out and the kind of people they've turned out mm-hmm. to be. And to me, that that's one thing that, that I'm really proud of. And, you know, they, we do some things in the community, like you said, and we've been involved with different things with chips, with down syndrome kids. We, uh, we do mm-hmm. other different things like, uh, you know, we have the Jack McKenna day, which is junior golf. And we're going to be doing a lot more this year with our facility. We used to have a first tee program here, and they're gone. So now we're going to start doing a lot more junior golf stuff here in town. But also just various things, you know, being student athletes, they don't have a lot of extra time. So, you know, if we can find something that takes two hours where we can go out and help somebody or do something, I think those things are important for these guys to realize that it's not all about them. You know, they're very privileged to be a student athlete. And, right. you know, along with that goes a lot of responsibility. Yeah, they have to learn to give back. You're exactly right. Tell, uh, you, you mentioned, I was going to ask, it was going to be my next question anyways, but um, obviously the city of Chattanooga's Parks and Recreations uh, has a, a CHIPS program. Tell us a little bit about the program uh, and, and how you're involving uh, your students in that. Well, I can take absolutely zero credit for it because Ben Rickett and Stephen Yeager came in and and if you know Stephen, it wasn't one of those things where he asked and said, "Hey, coach, can we do this?" He said, "Coach, we are going to be doing this on Tuesday nights," <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know it was a good thing. Stephen and Ben put put that together, and it you know when I I would go out and I'm serious, I wouldn't even tell tell them which guys are going. You know, I had. I would stand back, and I love to go over there and watch because I love to watch my guys interact with them and how they were. I I can take zero credit for that. They did it all. The guys did it all, and you know that that's one of those things that you're really proud of because it's not something I made them do. It's something they did on their own, and you know it, it's a great you know, it, it's a great outlet. It, it, you know, being around those kids, they are so loving and, and you know, and competitive. Right. It, it's really neat. It's, you know, I've learned so mm-hmm. much about kids with Down syndrome and it's, it really is, you know, it, it's, it's something else that I can't even put it in words. It's just really special to sit back and watch our young men work with, with those kids. And, and we need to do so much more. We really do. And, yeah, it's hard sometimes with all their class schedules and night classes and everything going on. And but you know, I I got to hand it to Stephen and Ben when they took that on. Uh, they went full force and they did a great job with it. That's uh, it, it's 
Yeah, yeah and, it's a great and, program, and what they do is fantastic. Yeah, and, and there's nothing better. There, there's really no greater satisfaction than doing something, especially to give back in your community to, to those that maybe uh, uh, have some disadvantages um, to be able to do that. I think that, that speaks volumes. Um, so let me ask you then, Mark, you know, in, in hindsight now, you, you know, you said a moment ago, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was, you know, all about the wins and that sort of thing. And, and as I mentioned in the opening credits, um, you know, you've won uh, and received some personal accomplishments, uh, the SOCON Coach of the Year, four years, uh, Eaton Golf Pride East Regional Coach of the Year uh, in 09. Do they have a different meaning for you now um, that you've had some time to reflect and grow in your own uh, way as coach of the team? Does it, does it have a different meaning for you now than maybe what it did at the time when you first got them? Yes, <laughs> it it did, and I yeah, and this is you know I hate to admit it, but uh, and but I hope this is part of me maturing. I thought I won those awards then, I didn't. Those guys, the only reason those things are on my wall are the guys that were on my teams. Without them, without their hard work, without what they did, you know those aren't my awards. Those are theirs, and you know I I didn't hit a shot. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, I I do look at a lot of it very differently now than I did when I first started, um, and it's you know so you're right those those things are neat. If I win five more of them, that's five more the guys won. If I don't win another one, that that really doesn't matter. It's you know as long as they show up every day, they give effort every day, and they come out of here, you know. Better people, better golfers, mm-hmm. you know, they graduate. That's, you know, those are the important things to me. And I, I know if there's any of my close friends out there listening, they're all going, he is so full of it right now because he can't play tag football <laughs> with two six-year-olds and not try to take them out. Because <laughs> I am just that competitive. I can't do anything. I I started, you know, and so, uh, but it is. I really... I try to keep it more in perspective now and realize that, you know, what we're trying to do for these young men is, you know, and, you know, and my faith is very important to me. And if sure. that translates to them, you know, I'm very involved with FCA. I'm on their board and I, I'm very, very proud of that more so than those other awards you're talking about, because that's a way that I can give back and I can help other people. Um, you know, we have a great thing in, in, in college golf because, college golf fellowship that's our own version of fca which is fantastic and uh you know those kind of things for these guys is i think is is really important at this stage of their life i think it it gives them gives them a lot of direction you know some of them you know need that it's funny i've had some international guys come over here and go golly then you know chattanooga y'all got a church on every corner but you know and some of those guys have gotten very involved in these programs and are still involved now after college, which is really neat as a coach to see. So, uh, you know, for that reason, there's a lot of guys that I probably should be calling tonight and tell them how proud I am of them because they were here, but they, they might have been that sixth or seventh guy for most of their career. And, you know, may not feel like they did a whole lot, but they, they, they'll never know how much they did while they were here. So, yeah, it, it's pretty neat. I well, I think too, job. Mark. That, yeah, you're exactly right. I think Mark too. Really, when you when you put things in perspective, it's not so much 
you know, you're really not just teaching them about golf. You're, you're teaching them about preparing for life uh, and the challenges that they're going to be faced with. Golf just happens to be the vessel that you're using in order to do that. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, golf mimics life in so many ways. If you really stop and think about a round of golf and what, what you're faced with, the different challenges and obstacles that you're faced with every, every day that you're out in the golf course, um, it's very parallels very much. Um, you know, you have your, your good days and you have your bad days, much like you do in life. And a lot of times you've got to really dig deep internally to be able to, um, you know, pull through and, and, and finish the round. And other times you just feel like, you know, chucking your, your clubs and the, and the golf balls into the, the first pond you come across. And I'm sure there's been a lot of guys on the team that have had those moments. So it, it's really a testament, right? And you know, I'm right. So it's, you know, <laughs> to, to be honest, Mark, you know, you're exactly, yeah. you know, you know, I'm right. Um, you know, you're yes. not just their coach, but you're a, a leader. You're an example for them to really look at. And, and that doesn't mean you're perfect because we all know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No. But no. those boys look up to you and say, okay, this is how I want to live my life and how I want to be able to navigate and how I want to handle myself. And yes, I'm going to be competitive at times. And yes, I'm going to be challenged at times. Um, but that's really what you're preparing for uh, is these young men as they move on to the next phase of their life. And golf is just, as I said, the vessel that you're, you're using to do that. Well, yeah. And I agree with you a hundred percent. It's, uh, you know, I had, when I, you know, I've probably been coaching for about two years and an older gentleman here in town that I've known for a long time and, you know, really respected, came out and just rode around with me one day at practice. And he talked about that very thing. And I was driving home that night thinking, what have I gotten myself into? I thought I was just going to be a golf coach. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, right. you know, it is. And, you know, some of my guys are – and, you know, we have some different rules that you won't see with a lot of teams or a lot of places. And sometimes my guys, yeah, well, I know they're, they think I'm crazy and they think, you know, why am I doing this? Why is coach, why does coach care about these kind of things? Why, why does this matter? It, you know, if my guys go inside a building, the hat comes off. And yes. I said, guys, you just, you don't understand at this time. And, I, and they look around and there's other coaches standing there with baseball caps on. And I'm like, guys, you know, mm -hmm. but that's not you. And I said, you're that's not right. going to do this. And what they don't realize <laughs> is that the guys that are going to be hiring them, you know, golf is a great tool to find a job. And the way you conduct yourself all the time at these country clubs where these, these kids are at, the members are watching. And the members are a lot of times the ones that hire these these athletes. And when they see sure. a kid that is respectful, a kid that takes his hat off, a kid that does things right, and I call them kids, a young man, he's already two steps ahead of the next one. You know, and that yes. kid has got his, his hat on backwards walking through the building. He's got no job. <laughs> you know, right. His daddy better own the business or he's not going to work. And, you know, yeah. I've watched that happen over and over. You know, and, you know, that's one of those – it's just those little things that I try – you know, I don't try. I make my guys do that, you know, and I know at times they're, you know, coach, my hair's messed up. I said, well, then cut it off like mine. You won't have to worry about it. You know, so, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> just shave it all off and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. But, you know, 
and you know it, it's it is another form of discipline and the discipline if you can't sure. have the discipline in all parts of your life you're not going to be successful really in any part of your life and you know i just believe that and we're all not 40 students and we're all not perfect like you said before but you know people that that are successful usually try to do everything right we're better at some things than yeah. others but we usually try to do everything right <laughs> Right. And, and, you know, and you're teaching them integrity too, Mark. I mean, you know, that's really the, the key thing. If you look at many of the professionals, you know, you look at Jack Nicholas and, and of course, the late Arnold Palmer um, and, and many others that, you know, played uh, when I was growing up. Um, you know, you looked at how they conducted themselves publicly and how they handled themselves. I mean, they always put their best foot forward, and that's why they rose to the level. It wasn't just their golf game that took them to those heights. I mean, Ar- Arnold Palmer was one of the most recognized uh, individuals worldwide, not just for golf, but just for his likability and his market ability because people just respected him as an individual. They liked him as a person, not just because he was a great golfer. He didn't win all of the golf tournaments uh, or more than everybody else, uh, but it's how he handled himself day to day that really um, – allowed people to gravitate to him and respect him even to this day, you know, that he's been gone now for a little while, people still talk about him and there's a fondness. There's not, well, that, you know, whatever, or or they're not using some derogatory. I mean, I've never in my entire life, and I'm going to be uh, 54 in the new year. Have I ever heard anybody say a derogatory comment about Arnold Palmer? So this is something that you're in, you know, this is something that you're instilling in these young men. Um, The other thing too, you know, um, Mark, that that I think that a lot of people don't understand that these young men are, are going to be faced with is the challenges of an ever-changing world. And I'm sure you've had to deal with this on some level, um, things like social media and, and, you know, iPhones and iPads and all of this other stuff. Is there a tone that you set uh, with the players? I mean, you, you can't stop them completely but is there a time and a place that, hey, it's okay, and how you present yourself in these different mediums uh, is important, uh, not only to you as an individual, but also to uh, UTC. We want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward. Uh, it's very easy to get caught up in the trappings of social media. Absolutely. And, the, you know, I have very few rules when they come in, but my first rule pretty much covers all of it. If you wouldn't say it or do it in front of your mom – then don't do it. Right. <laughs> right. So that pretty much, so, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and that is, that's something that, that coming back and when, you know, when something happens, you know, that's, that's where I go with it. If, you know, if you've done something that's going to embarrass our team and then our university and your parents, then we got a bad problem. And, you know, and that, include social media and we talk about that and we I want them to use social media. I I am awful sure. at it. You I I can barely follow my Twitter <laughs> account that was set up for me. I didn't set it up. I do have a Facebook thing. The only thing I really know how to do is like something. So, you know, <laughs> don't be offended yeah. if I don't put your pictures up and things cuz I don't know how. But I right. do think it is extremely important in this age and especially for that that age my wife is an advertising artist so i i know through those medians what's important and you know she and i talk about it and 
it's great for them to tweet out and to all the other things about our program, about good things that we're doing and, and things that are going well and for them to be proud of where they're at and what they're doing, what they're accomplishing. I want all that to go out. I mean, it's great for recruiting, but it's also, it's, it's great for our school. It's great for, for them. You know, to, so, you know, while it is a huge part of our world and, you know, I'm one of those coaches that for a long time, I was like, you know, no phones at practice and no headphones while you're hitting balls and know that, you know what, that's the way these kids grew up. And it's a different right. deal because, you know, and my generation, <laughs> we look at that, we think you can't be concentrating. But I watch these kids study with headphones on and stuff. There's no way I could have done that. I'm trying no. to understand them a little better. But at the same time, we still have, you know, we still have times where we put the phones down so that we have to talk to each other. But, sure. you know, there there is neat. Or if, if you're on your phone and, you know, something's funny. You need to share it with everybody at the table, not just the guy sitting beside you because you don't want everybody else to see it. You know, if, if it's funny <laughs> and you're laughing, you need to be able to share it with everybody. And, you know, so, you know, but we do try to have a lot of fun. There's no doubt. I mean, it's got to be fun. There's way too much work. As you know, there's a 20-hour rule in NCAA. So, you know, you can't make them practice or work out or watch film or do anything else in any sport more than 20 hours a week. I can tell you that right now, there is not a great athlete out there that's putting in 20 hours a week in any sport. They're putting in way more than that. And that's, you know, it's not yeah. required by the coach. It's not mandatory, but that's, you know, they want to be successful and they understand what it takes. And all of my guys put in a lot more than 20 hours. And, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's, you know, to take all their social media and everything away from them and, you know, I'm not sure that, that that's a good thing as much as they're out there, as much as they, they put into it. So it's, a you know, the whole world's changing rapidly. And the game of golf has changed so much in 15 years, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and you have to have balance. I mean, you have to have balance in life, and, and you're right. The world is changing. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten pretty good on social media, obviously, from doing this show. Uh, I've had to, you know, learn some additional skills in order to be able to to, to get the broadcast out there and, and to promote it and so forth. So I've gotten pretty certainly savvy, but I'm sure there's some, you know, uh, eight year old out there that could probably run circles around me. So I don't try to, to do anything too fancy, but, um, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, you know, it is a changing world. I, I want to end with this last um, <clears throat> question here, or just a, a comment and then let you expand on it. But um, I see also from uh, some of the, the excerpts of the bio um, that I that I got that you also qualified for the 2015 PGA Senior National Championship. Uh, any thoughts of, of pursuing uh, something a little bit later on in your career, or maybe uh, uh, a competitive challenge, perhaps? Uh, yeah, I just got my amateur status back. I'm 55, and you know what? All the guys I couldn't beat at 30, I couldn't beat at 50. <laughs> and there's there's so many guys in town I still can't beat. So <laughs> there's you know. It's like, like I told you, I, you know, if there's if there's something that I will do after I retire from here, it would be a really high level of probably competitive fishing. I do fish on the FLW Tour, which is one of the biggest tours out there in my spare time. 
so I don't do it for a living. And, you know, those guys are just like professional golfers. Most of them are, are starving to death. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I love to play. I love to compete. I got my amateur status back. So I'll, I will try to qualify for senior opens and, you know, senior amps and things like that. So, and, but I, cause I still love to play. I still love to play. I still sure. I, I enjoy practicing. I, I'm not one of those coaches. That, if I play with my guys, it's twice a month. I just, I feel like it's when, when we're at practice, it's my time to help them be better, not my time to make myself better. So, only if we have a fun day where we go to a golf course that we don't ever go to just as a treat or something like that while I play with them, but it, it's rare. Occasionally on Sundays, I'll have a couple of them say, hey, I want to work on something. Let's go play nine holes. And But, you know, I, I don't, you know, so I don't have the time to practice, and, you know, like, like a lot of guys do, you know, most of my peers that are, that are trying to play at a decently high level at our age practice and play a lot. And, mm-hmm. I might practice one day a week. So it's, uh, but I, I did enjoy playing in, in the, you know, in the senior PGA and that was a goal. And after I accomplished that, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to playing amateur golf and playing a lot of things in Tennessee with guys that I grew up with and been friends with all my life sure. and, and enjoying that kind of competitive golf. Now I do think and- it's important to keep playing though. Because yes. sometimes when I go a while without playing, I forget how hard it is. A good friend of mine, right. Joe Emman, who played the tour his whole life and played the senior tour and now is a coach at Georgia State, keeps telling me, Mark, you got to remember how hard this game is. It's the hardest game in the world. And I thought, wait a minute. You won on those tours. It can't be that hard for you. <laughs> but, but, no, it, it is. And, you know, when you quit playing, you forget how hard it is sometimes. So uh, I, I think that that helps me to understand the guys a little bit from time to time. Yeah. Well said. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining me tonight on golf talk live. It's uh, I appreciate you, uh, you doing this and giving of your, your time. And I know it's not always easy when you've got a full uh, plate during the day of, of teaching and coaching and all that. Um, but, uh, but thank you. It's been an interesting conversation and, and I, I'd like to extend an invitation. We'll, we'll set this up down the road, but, uh, maybe sometime in 2018 you can come back and, and maybe we'll get a few of the players to come on with you and just talk about some of the, the goings on, if you will, uh, throughout the season. Um, if you'd like to do that. Uh, absolutely. I think it, I think, you know, I would love to hear you interview some of them and get, you know, I'd like to hear what they have to say. Uh, sometimes they, uh, they don't tell the, the head coach everything. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I know yeah, when you I might. was in college, I wasn't telling him everything either. So, <laughs> so no, uh, I might I'm, not I'm sure. know what they say, but, uh, but no, we've, we've got a great bunch of young men right now that, and I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun for the next few years. Well, we're pretty young, but well, Mark, I, I really I... like what we got. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, it yeah. sounds like you've got a great formula, yeah, formula for success at, at UTC and, and uh, as I said in the beginning, uh, what a what a great uh, uh, opportunity for you to, to come back at your alma mater and, and be able to play uh, at the at the uh, you know at the college that you graduated from. So uh, uh, well, a job well done, and continue the, the hard work and, and much continued success. And, and Mark, I would really love to have you come back uh, maybe sometime in the new year if, if you're uh, so inclined. And, and as I said, we'll maybe get a few of the boys to, to join you. And uh, um, you may have to plug your ears uh, during their part of the segment, but. Uh, <laughs> 
we'll uh, we'll have a good time anyway. So I'll, I'll be in touch with you, Mark, and, and I appreciate you coming okay. on tonight uh, here on Golf Talk Live. That, that sounds great. Thanks for having me, and that, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me on tonight. All right. You have a great uh, weekend and, and much continued success uh, with the team. Thank you. All right. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Mark June, the head coach for the University of Chattanooga uh, up in Tennessee, uh, the men's golf team. Uh, sounds like he's doing some great work teaching them not just about how to play this great game, but also uh, a little bit about life along the way. And it sounds like he's doing a phenomenal job there. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll have him back in the new year when his uh, schedule permits and, and maybe get, as I said, a couple of the guys to, to join in as well. And, and uh, maybe they can share a, a few secrets along the way. We'll see what happens. But uh, um but on that note, uh, I want to take this opportunity to once again thank the guys uh, on the Coach's Corner panel tonight, uh, Peter Agazarian, and uh, again, Pete Buchanan for stepping up last minute and, and filling in uh, for uh, one of my absentees. Uh, but um, guys, you did a fantastic job as always, and uh, we're going to continue the discussion uh, next week on Coach's Corner. Uh, we'll have uh, a whole new panel on there. And, uh, and actually, John, uh, as a sign of good faith, since he wasn't able to join us this week, John Hughes, I'm referring to PJ Master Professional from Orlando. Uh, he's going to come on as my guest next week um, and uh, redeem himself, if you will, uh, for not being able to. All kidding aside, uh, John, um, I, I know these things happen, but uh, he's going to be on next week to, to join me as my special guest. And we've got some great things that we're going to line up and, and have in our discussion next uh, Thursday. So make sure you join us. But on that note, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of the uh, listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live uh, each and every week. And it's really through your uh you know, faithfulness, I guess, and tuning in. And it's also uh, given me a great uh, amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teach professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs like my very special guest tonight, Mark June, uh, for them stopping by uh, Golf Talk Live. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that make it a first-class show. A special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the show, Mr. Jonathan Laird, uh, owner of uh, and editor of uh, South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com if you're interested in, in uh, finding out some of the great uh, golf tracks here in the southeastern part of the United States, from Texas right over here to uh, the northwest part of Florida and all states in between. Uh, a lot of great courses there. You can check it out online or you can request a copy of the guide. If you're not in the area, uh, he'll actually have one shipped out to you. But if you're planning on a visit down here, you want to get your hot little hands on a copy of that, go to the website first, uh, southcoastgolfguide.com and check it out and uh, get a copy or find out where you can pick up a copy once you get down here uh, and then you'll have that uh, with all the information some of the great local courses and that that you might want to play while you're here uh, uh, having your vacation or maybe you're coming down here for the winter months that are going to be shortly around the corner here so uh, if you're planning on do that make sure you get a copy so go to southcoastgolfguide.com also to Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf out in Myrtle Beach uh, go to meredithkirk.com is her website a great LPJ teach professional in the uh, south here in the Myrtle Beach area. Make sure you check her out. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland. Nikki, of course, is a great uh, golf professional and his lovely wife, Nikki, uh, sorry, Tiffany uh, Litherland, uh, for all of their help in spreading the word uh, about the program. Thanks for all of your continued support. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Uh, go to onticgolf.com and check out a great line of customized putters. If you're in the market for a new putter, uh, make sure you stop at ontitgolf.com first uh, to check them out. Uh, Sean Kelly, of course, the owner of linkedgolfers.com, his own social media uh, website platform if you will uh, Sean of course uh, was the manager of a great uh, and actually the largest uh, golf group in uh, linkedin.com 
called Linked Golfers. Uh, last count, I think there was over 45,000 members of that group. It's the largest golf group in, on the uh, LinkedIn uh, social media, so you want to check that out as well. And go to linkedgolfers.com, which is his platform uh, and own social media website. And last but not least, my good friend, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Uh, great teacher professional and also club fitter over there. Uh, make sure that you check out Doyle Golf Solutions. And Peter, thank you for all of your continued support. And on that note, um, God bless everybody. Have a great week. And thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. <laughs>